You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. You can go ahead and take your seat. And I want to wish you a good morning, I suppose. Good morning, Harvest York Region. Good to see you all here today. It's so good to be back with you all. Um, It feels like it's been forever. Um, but it's kind of like if, if Newmarket is uh, my favorite place to be, as it should be, it feels like you guys are like a close second. Like you're not offended by that, right? That you're second place uh, in my mind. I love being here. I love seeing so many friendly uh, faces and connecting with so many of you. I'm so glad uh, to be here and appreciate your support and uh, your prayers for us uh, up in Newmarket. So appreciative of what the Lord is doing up there. Pastor Paul's actually up there uh, today. We're doing the old switcheroo pa- uh, pulpits uh, swap. And uh, so grateful to be with you here today. And if you want to actually turn in your Bibles right now uh, to Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 9. And as you're getting turned over there, I don't know if you can see this from uh, where you're sitting, but uh, this is all that remains of an apple uh, that I was eating earlier this morning. Hey, just the core. Now, this, of course, is the part that, typically speaking, we throw away, don't we? I know there's some like weird people out there that eat the whole thing. I don't know. I don't understand that at all. Um, but, but what's important to note here is that without the core, without the seeds that make up the core, uh, we, know, we, we never get to the apple, right? The delicious fruit uh, that you and I get to uh, enjoy. Okay, well, in Mark chapter 9, Jesus gathers his disciples. He, he brings them in and meets privately with them to teach them about the core of discipleship, which he shows us is humility, okay? Humility is like the seeds, all right, that allows a Christian to grow into what he is uh, to become, a mature, Christ-like, godly, okay? and much like uh, without a, an apple core, you, you, you never get to the apple, well, uh, without humility, there is no disciple, Okay, there's, there's no salvation in a very fundamental sense. Uh, salvation, coming to Jesus Christ, requires that we would humble ourselves, that we would bow our knee, confess our sin, receive the forgiveness and grace that Christ offers. But also, for Christ's followers, if you refuse to humble yourself, you're really halting your sanctification, your continued growth in Christ's likeness. Now, here's the thing, though. Hey, what I find kind of interesting and, 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 and appalling in many ways is it seems like so many, so many churches, so many Christians often treat humility like we treat an apple core. And we just kind of do this. It's actually a bad throw. I was, I was aiming for George. Um, I missed him. Don't worry. If JC's in the room, I'll clean that up later. Don't worry about it, JC. But, but honestly, that's what we do, right? We just kind of toss it away. We throw humility away. Think about this. We see this in, in Christian marriages. We see marriages disintegrating all around us because of a refusal uh, on one or both parties to, to humble themselves and, and bring their brokenness before the Lord. We see pastors caught up in, in empire building and, and this shameless self-promotion, seemingly unaware of the pride growing within them and and spewing out of them. Or it's far too many Christians who who seem to treat 
difficulty and, and hardship, trials in life, uh, as though they're from Satan when they're really from who? They're from God, right? They're from God himself. And, and they're used, to, they're intended to be the, the very means of killing that pride in us and, and creating and cultivating the humility required of a disciple. Quite frankly, I think so many of us, we, we take humility and we just kind of cast it aside. But hey, if, if humility is the very core, all right, of, of discipleship, and, and Jesus is going to show us here from Mark chapter 9, as we're going to see this, that, that it is, then I guess, I don't know, like you and I, we, we better kind of give this some attention, right? Do you feel that? Do you sense that? Because listen, without humility, you cannot become what Jesus Christ is committed to transforming you into. Do you understand that? And listen, this goes for every single one of us here in the room. It's not just, it's not just for pastor guys, right? It's not just for, 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 for ministry leaders and small group leaders and all of that kind of thing, right? It's not just, it's not just something we give lip service to or, or, or a mask that we put on and we know how to say humble phrases so that we convey some kind of humility even though it's false and, and underneath there's pride going on all throughout it. No, humility is at the core of what it means to know Jesus Christ and to be his disciple. And listen, it has to do with the posture of your heart. Do you know that? So there, there should really be, and I hope even now as we're talking about this, this, this urgency kind of welling up within you on your part to give this the attention that it deserves. Just let me pray. Now, and let's ask the Lord, let's seek the Lord on, you know, come on, you know, on our knees, even now, uh, to pray to him, Lord, do whatever it takes, do whatever it takes to, to break through this, this crust that's, that's developing around my heart, break through that pride. God, and humble me, why don't you join me as we pray? God, we come before you. Lord, as your church, Lord, we know that as your church, we are, well, we're just flat out a mess. God, we're all broken and we're all, in certain ways, probably trying to cover that up with kind of pathetic attempts at trying to improve ourselves or, or trying to, to hide our brokenness and our, and our faults and, and trying to convey that we're stronger or better or what have you. Lord, I pray that today as, as we walk through these incredible verses, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in your church to humble us, create this humility in our hearts, Lord, we pray this. God, we know that we can't do this. We can't forge this within ourselves, or it has to be you. And so, God, I pray that you would move. You would do whatever it takes, God. I pray that you would break through the arrogance. Lord, I pray that you would encourage the, the discouraged. Lord, I pray that you would show yourself to be strong today in your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, here's the first thing, if you're following along uh, in your notes here, if, if humility is at the core of discipleship, then I must surrender my comfort and be willing to suffer. Okay, this is what we see here. We're going to unpack this now and go through these verses. We're in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 30. Okay, pick it up with me there. It says this, the, they went on from there. 
Okay, now what's going on here? Well, Jesus is, is with his disciples and they had been traveling around and, and Jesus has been teaching people and performing miracles and, and casting out demons. And that's exactly what he had just done, actually. He had just healed the boy with the demon. Remember the deaf and, and the mute demon that had been, you know, thrown the boy on the ground, was convulsing him and his father brings him before Jesus. Well, he had just healed this, this boy and they went on from there, it says, and they passed through Galilee and he, that's Jesus, did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples. So he, he had spent this time in, with the crowds already, and he's like, now, now it, it's not time for the crowds. I want to I gather my boys in here. I want to spend some time well, with the twelve and, and teach them. Specifically, he wants to instruct him on the finer points, the core uh, of what, what disciples or discipleship uh, looks like. And so for he was teaching his disciples, it says, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Hey, but they did not understand the saying, and were too afraid, or were afraid to ask him. Hey, probably because uh, the last time they had tried to stop him when he started talking about how, uh, the fact that he was going to go to the cross, and he was going to suffer, and he was going to die. It was back in chapter 8. And you know, remember how Peter was like, got in his face. He's like, no, may this never be so. What did Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. And so they were probably just a little bit gun-shy here in this moment to stop him. They didn't want the stern rebuke again. But understand that this is the second time now that, that Jesus had, had foretold um, his, his coming death. Right? And, and what is he doing by, by communicating this to them? Well, he's, he's pulling apart their understanding of what the Messiah was going to be, what he was going to come and do. So you understand that the, the Jews, they thought that the Messiah was going to come and be a, a political liberator. Right? They thought that he was going to be a, a military conqueror and he was going to come and he was going to bring the Jews to, to dominance and, and we are going to rule. We are going to reign. All of the other nations will bow down to us and, and we're going to be this, this strong people, this strong country and nation. And of course, Jesus, he didn't come to do that, did he? He came and he set aside his his rights. He, he set aside his privilege, the privileges and the glory that was due his name. They were rightly his. He surrendered his, his earthly comfort. He could have gone after all of that, but he was, he was willing to put it all aside and to, and to suffer, right? to accomplish God's plan, his father's plan uh, to redeem mankind from sin. He had a much bigger plan uh, in store. Okay? And it's this, it's this surrender of of comfort. It's this, it's this willingness to suffer that, that lies at the heart, or you could even say is the heart of, of humility, right? It's, it's the core of, of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, hey, this, this concept for us, we start talking about discomfort and and suffering, you know, for us as a, as a North American church, right, we're in very, very affluent Markham, Ontario, uh, this whole idea of suffering and all that makes us so like, I don't know, uncomfortable, right? We, we hate the idea of that. And listen, that's the issue, right? That's the, that's the very problem. It's because I think in, in many ways, the North American church, we've, we've so bought into, you know, the, the world's value system that, that, that we, we should be able to, you know, live a life of, of comfort and ease. 
right? right? Bad things shouldn't happen to us, right? And, and we should have all the, all the comforts of life. And, and therefore, the presence of, of discomfort or, or suffering in my life must mean that I'm doing something wrong. And so we, we try as hard as we can to kind of figure out the secret formula to, to my best life now. Or, or worse, we, you know, we, we accuse God of, uh, of dealing us a bad hand because things aren't going the way that we think it should go. And so we, we wrongly blame him for our troubles. And say of understanding uh, what, the, what the purpose of our troubles are. Okay, you and I, we don't easily realize and, and embrace that the, the presence of these difficult things, these circumstances, these life situations that make us feel so uncomfortable and, and cause us sometimes in deep suffering are, are actually tools of divine grace from our loving God to lead you and I to a place of, of deeper humility. That's what God's trying to do through all of this. Where, where our hearts, in the middle of that suffering, they, 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 they release, they let go of their, uh, of their death grip on our hearts. And, and, and this desire for comfort, this ravenous appetite uh, that we have here. And, and, and in that suffering, we get to the place where we're no, we're, we're, I'm more willing to go through this for, for the sake of God and, and for my growth. Listen, some of you, some of you need to hear this today. That, that God is not committed to your, your worldly comfort. He's committed to your humility. He's committed to the growth of your discipleship. He's committed to his glory. And, and he's got you in something. Maybe right now, right here in this moment, you know what it is. He, he's expertly designed that and given that to you by grace to bring about these very things. You know, I, I've, I've heard people uh, say before that, you know, man, since I, since I became a Christian, okay, or, or, or since I, you know, started coming to harvest, my life is just, it seems so much harder. You know what I would say to that? Yeah, right, sounds about right. Because think about it, what, what we're committed to as Christians, what we are committed to here as a church, that is straight up not easy, right? That, that is hard stuff. If you want to be, if you want a life of ease and comfort, don't become a follower of Jesus Christ. The world, they just do whatever they want. That's easy. Christians, we go after the hard areas, we, we allow God to, to like pry open the lid of our heart and, and his Holy Spirit gets in there and starts messing things up. Right? He, starts, he starts healing us. He starts transforming us. Immense discomfort in all of that. You and I, we're, we're battling our flesh. Our flesh wants to go against God. Oh yeah, Satan exists too, right? We're battling against him. Right? The Christian life, sanctification, it is gritty. It is hard. It is difficult. What we're doing here as a church, we're, we're committed to opening up this book. And, and just like, God, you speak. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I'm saying. It matters what, what God's word says. And God's word uh, confronts what we like. It confronts our flesh. That's hard. The Christian life is very, very difficult. What we're doing here is not, it's not comfortable being a, a disciple, just it involves suffering in, in multiple ways. So listen, listen, you, you really have two options. 
right? You could dig your, you could kind of dig your heels in and, and I'm going to fight the Lord tooth and nail on this and, and I don't want to give in and, and what he's trying to do in me and, or I, I'm going to double down on my pursuit of comfort and I'm going to throw more money at that. I'm going to give even more time to, to all of those things, hoping that, that they fulfill and, and all of that. Or, or listen, you can surrender it all. You can surrender it all to your to your heavenly father. You can yield to his ways. You can yield to his purpose and, and his plans for you. Be willing to suffer for his sake, trusting the Lord who has saved you, right? Knowing that he is doing these things in your life for your good. None of this is a mistake. None of this is by accident. It's not, it's not random. Uh, none of the above, Listen, these two options, they might seem like two options, but if you, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, listen, it's, it's really only one option. It's the latter. So humble yourself. Allow the Lord to do whatever, like whatever it takes, God, punch through here today. It's going to involve discomfort. It's going to involve suffering. But understand, Lord, this is for my good. This is for my greater joy. And also understand, this is also for the good of other people, right? Remember the community, that's what this next thing really gets at here. If humility is at the core of discipleship, then I must shelf personal ambition and pursue a servant heart. You see this here starting in verse 33. Take a look. It says, and they, the disciples and Jesus, they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, hey, what were you guys discussing on the way? Now, quick question, does Jesus... Does Jesus know the answer to his own question? Yeah, of course he did. Of course he does. So, so he's, he's asking this, though, to stimulate discussion. He's trying to get a discussion going with these guys, and, and look how they respond. Okay, but they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another, uh-oh, about who is the greatest. Okay, so clearly these guys could use a lesson on humility, right? Okay, and so he sat down, he sits down in his house, and he calls the twelve to him, and and he said to them, if, any, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and there's the word, servant of all. And he took a child and he put him in the midst of them. You know, understand that, that children were often overlooked in these days, right? They, they were marginalized. They were kind of pushed aside. And, and if you wanted to be serious, you would, you know, you would invest in adults, right? And so, so Jesus, he takes this, this young boy and, and he uses him as, a, as an illustration here and, it, and continue. It says, in taking him in his arms, he said to them, his disciples, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me or not just me, but him who sent me, the father, right? So what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's redefining what greatness looks like uh, in the kingdom of God, Okay, disciples, that's us too. Like we're not people who, who, who are looking for spotlight. We're, we're not looking for, for honor and, and, and glory and, and privilege and accolades and, and prestige and, and all of those things. Listen, real humility, true humility in the heart. It's not even, not even thinking about all of that stuff. Because hey, it knows that, that all of that stuff is either short-lived okay, or, or, or it ends up you know, not fulfilling us the, the way that we thought it would, it's kind of overhyped. Or we realize once we get those positions, we end up just grappling with our, with our pride in all of that more than we were before. Hey, true humility 
cares more about others and is willing to serve, not, not caring about yourself. And maybe you've heard that, that famous quote from, from C.S. Lewis, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And again, it's, it's a servant attitude, serving others no matter how quote-unquote insignificant they might seem or, or how insignificant uh, your role in that moment uh, might seem. So hey, think about this here today. Just specifically, your, your own kind of ambition in the role that you play right here in your own church. Are you content to, to serve? Are, are, are you good with that? Are, are you okay kind of having this, this background role maybe? You know, other people are, you know, got microphones put in front of their face or they're on the worship team and, and they're in front of people, but... But are you okay kind of playing your part? It's, it's a crucial part, right? We know the scriptures talk about that. Every, every body part is, is super important in the building up of the church. Are you good with that? Or, or for you, are in like this kind of pride-driven way in, in your heart, do you, do you want or, or even expect more? Right? Like, man, if, you know, if, if they only knew what I did at my old church, Right? They wouldn't have me, you know, serving on the front door or something like that. Right? I like, you know, people respected me. You know, if people only knew the kind of gifts that I've got here, I've tried to kind of keep it quiet right now because I don't want to be that guy kind of bragging about it. But if they only knew, right, they would, they would put me in a position of, of leadership. My gifts are being wasted here. Right? Do you got that kind of welling up in your heart? Only we're Christians, right? So we know how to play the game. Right? We put the smile on. We you know, humility, right? And, and it can be so fake, so fake, so false, right? These, these, these feelings of entitlement and, and, and arrogance even. But hey, I was recently at a church um, and in their, kind of in their green room, in the room that the worship team would be in before they would come out onto the stage, they had this, they had this thing written on the wall there that the worship team would see before they went out. And if you want to throw that up on the wall, um, or on the screen, it says this. It says that it is a privilege to be on this platform. Thank you, God, for choosing me. Right? That's humility. Right? That, that's, that's the heart of a disciple who, who gets it. Right? They, they, they got it. Right? That their role, that their title, their responsibilities and abilities, all of it, listen, all of it is a gift from God. Right? It's not to be used or, or exercised in a way to kind of like, you know, pump up our sagging egos or something like that. It's not about making us feel, you know, self-confident and, and, and more secure. That's not what it's about at all. It's to serve other people to the glory of God. Listen, true disciples of Christ, they shelf the, the personal self-centered ambition why? Why? Well, because, because that's what Jesus did. And we see it all through the scriptures, right? Jesus pursued the, the will of his father to what point? To death. To death, didn't he? Right? He, he, it's, it's his humility that we see so clearly all throughout, you know, the gospels and, and in the message of the gospel that, that ends up being the, the motivating drive for you and I to, to, to live as, as humble disciples ourselves with authenticity in all of that. Because we know it, it's not about me, not, not for one second. It's about my king. It's never been about me. It never will be, not for one second. It's about Jesus. 
It's about joyfully serving him for the good of others and, and for the glory of his great name. Well, here's the third thing. If humility is at the core of discipleship, then I must snuff out my elitist attitude and think big kingdom. And take a look at verse 38. Read along with me here. John said to him, Teacher, hey, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and, and we tried to stop him because, psh, you know, he, he wasn't following us. Right? You sense the elitism there? Right? He's like, he's not, he's not in our exclusive club. Right? He hasn't gone to, to our Jesus seminary. So don't worry, Jesus. We, we tried to stop him. We, we, we tried to quiet, you know, his words and, and what he was doing. Hey, but notice what Jesus says. He says, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in, in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Then jump to verse 42, look at that. It says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, now, now little ones referring specifically to, to disciples or generally to disciples as opposed to specifically children, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him, listen to how grim this is, it'd be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into depths or into the sea. Okay, Jesus is instructing his his disciples here in this moment and, and, and us now, that, that those who, who, who serve the cause of Christ, no matter who they are and no matter where they are, they should be appreciated. They, they, they should be applauded and celebrated even. And, and watch out. You, you don't want to be the, you know, the guy who, who through your proud or, or, or elitist attitude, you, you end up doing damage to another disciple of Jesus Christ. We understand that, that the millstone being tied around your neck and, and tossed into the sea, that's bad, right? He said it would be better for you to have that happen to you than cause another disciple to sin because of your, your arrogance and your elitism. Now, Christians, we don't struggle with this at all, do we? Oh, no, 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 not at all. We're, I mean, we're so great at at appreciating the good things that God is doing in other people and, and in other ministries and in other churches. Now, this isn't to say that, that it's wrong to have, you know, differing theological positions. Not, not at all. We should have convictions about those things. We need to be able to, to stand on the word of God for, you know, what we do and why we do the things that we do as a church and, and as believers. But it is to say that we should be able to, to rejoice at, at God at work and, and what he is, is doing in, in, say, other churches in, in our own uh, city. Celebrate God's work over at, at Grace Chapel or at, at Markham Bible Chapel. Right? The kingdom of God is so much bigger, thankfully, than, than harvest. Right? We're, we're, we're so small and, and we need him and we love to see him work outside of all of this. So, so understand, a big, a big kingdom mentality, that, that's got to be embraced by us. I think so many times as Christians, we love to shrink the sandbox, don't we? And we, and we love to, to make the walls small. And, and those Christians, they're not, they're, they're, we got to kick them out of the sandbox. 
And it's about our, you know, super narrow understanding of things. And I've got a, a, we've got a corner on the market on doctrine or, or how, to, how to think properly and all that. Listen, I'm not, I'm not slamming doctrine. You know that, right? I'm not doing all of that. But we should never, ever get to the point that, that just because God is moving here by his grace, which he is doing here at Harvest, it doesn't mean that, that he's not moving out there. We should celebrate it. Big kingdom. If we, if we don't have that, it's so wrong, right? It's so backwards. It's so void of humility. But listen, this, this elitist mentality isn't just projected from us on them out there. It's also projected from us on others inside here, isn't it? You know, I kind of wonder already how many of us have walked through the doors this morning. We've come in and we've seen that person. We've kind of given him that inner eye roll. Like, oh my goodness. You know, or you, or you, you have him at small group and, and, and that, that, that man or that woman, you know, opens their mouth, they start talking and you're like, oh, here we go. Like, why, why don't they seem to get it? Why haven't they gotten to the place where I am with the Lord? We've gone over this before. You know, just because somebody has a, a slightly different, you know, way of, of thinking about that, or, or they have a different background or, or, or a different history or whatever it might be. We look down on them for any number of reasons. Right? There's no humility in that. There's no servant heart in that. Okay, so what do we do if, not if really, but it's, but it's when we start to sense that this attitude is welling up within us. Right? What do we do? Well, you can write these things down. Three things. I will snuff out my elitist attitude. Here's the first one. By doing this, identifying it. You got to identify it. You know that you can't grow past this elitism in your heart and, and, and get to the place where you're a, a more humble servant if you don't identify the ways that this grows within you. Right? You don't see it. You're never going to grow past it. So you've got to identify this. How, how, is, it, how is it creeping up in your life? Is it, is it coming out in, in a critical spirit? Right? Maybe you're not the kind of person to go and like call something out verbally with a person, but in your heart you're doing it all the time. And you're looking down on them and you're, 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 you're critical and it's happening in your marriage. It's happening with people in your church. And you're, you're, criti- you're always pointing out the, what's wrong. You're, you're a fault finder. And in that you're like, you're putting yourself above the other person. You see how you're doing that? Maybe it's in isolation. You isolate yourself. I don't need, I don't need people. I'm, I'm a man's man. I can, I can do this myself. I'm a self-made man in, in business or what have you. And so therefore, my spiritual life can work the same way. And I, I, can, I can just mean Jesus. That's it. And so you push community away. right? And, and you, you, know, you go to small group, but I'm not going to actually like open up for real with this person. First of all, I don't really think I have anything to open up about. And, 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 and secondly, what are, what are these people going to be able to do to help me? Like I've literally had people say that to me. Seriously, like it's actually happened. But you're, I, I want to do it myself. It's the lone wolf. It's the lone ranger mentality. Guess what? If, if that's you and that's the direction you're going in, guess what? You have zero Bible to back that up. Zero the Christian life is inescapably created to be within community. That's how God made it. 
Is that what you're identifying this morning? That's where your elitist attitude is? Maybe it's just in grumbling. You're grumbling constantly. Oh, I got to get up early. I got to be at the church early. I've got to serve. I got to prepare. I've got to... It's complaining. Is it, is it anger? Is it a root of, of bitterness? Again, you're, you're trying to kind of control this and hide this, but, but it's there. Okay, and all of it is some form of elitism. You've got to identify that. Secondly, you've got to grieve it. You've got to grieve it. God, give us a hatred for our sin. It's not good enough to just identify that the sin is there and then be like, now I'm going to treat it sort of like a, like a science experiment and kind of look at it and, and, and maybe try and tweak something over here and, and maybe kind of change the way I'm, I'm behaving about. You can't do that. You've got to grieve it. If you don't grieve your sin, if you're not broken about this before, almighty God, guess what? You're just going to keep going back to it. You're just going to do it over and over again. Godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. You've got to grieve your sin. And then third thing, I will snuff out my elitist attitude by fighting it. You've got to fight this. Do you have any fight in you? Right? So many Christians are just soft. Right? We're, so, we're pansies. Right? We just want everything to kind of work out easily. We don't understand that life is war. Like, we want peacetime mentality. And so we just kind of go through life hoping that everything is just going to kind of work out. It's casual prayers about this and about that. And, you know, I'll get to the scriptures, I guess, when, you know, when I, when I, whenever I feel like it, whenever I feel desperate enough. You've got to fight this, man. How do you fight it? Well, you fight it by, by prayer. Like humble dependence on your knees, on your face, soaking the carpet with your tears, prayer, crying out to the Lord through time in the scriptures. You're going to need encouragement. Sanctification is the rest of your life. You're going to have some downs in that. You need to be in the scriptures to encourage you and to show you the way. You need accountability in your life. Again, we've talked about that, right? You can't do it alone. You need people that you can, you know, you can text me. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I'm looking down on, on people at my workplace or in my church or in my family or whatever. Would you, would you pray for me? You need accountability. If you're like, man, I, I feel kind of helpless in my, in my battle about these things and I've tried to fight my, my elitism and, and I'm not really getting anywhere, I would say, Good. You need to feel helpless. You need to be on your knees. You need to be de desperate. Feeling helpless is, is God's way of reminding you that you need grace, which is what breeds humility, right? That's the soil in which God starts to grow humility in your heart. Starts to give you a greater dependence on him, a greater love for him, what he is doing in your life, what he is doing in others as well. Which, of course, is what this big kingdom mindset is. Hey, last thing here. If humility is at the core of discipleship, then I must sever what hinders and become a pleasing offering. Okay, take a look at verse, verse 43 here. We've heard these verses before. It says, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire and if your foot causes you to sin cut it off it is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet be thrown into hell and if your eye causes you to sin tear it out 
It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, do we understand that that Jesus isn't advocating literally for mutilation? Are we clear on that? He's, He's not going for that here. Rather, he's using hyperbole. It's an intentional and an extreme exaggeration here to prove a point. To show us, to show you and I what's at stake if, if we refuse to, to, uh, to sever the sin that is choking out humility in your, in your heart. So when he says here that if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Okay, he's saying that if your eye leads you into sexual immorality, for example, then, then you must sever those, those strongholds, those things that have a grip on your, on your soul. Okay, so if it's, if it's pornography on your phone and, and you're sneaking a look at any time that you have a, a spare moment, it, it's online chat rooms, and you're pursuing that, and it's a secret, or, or, or it's flirty interactions at work, and, and you're letting your guard down with all of that. Or listen, it's just straight up another woman or, or another man on the side. And I've got this like double, double life going on. If, if it's something like that, God's saying, you, you've got to kill that. You've got to cut it out. You've got to tear it out. You've got to sever it. Why? Because if you keep on lusting, and you don't deal with it. It says that you are going to hell. You're going to hell. Dealing with our sin, going after that, attacking that, confessing it, repentance, none of that is, is, is just like a casual suggestion in the scriptures. You know that? It's not like, hey, if you've got like spare time on a Sunday afternoon, why don't you kind of, why don't you kind of think about this, this area of sin in your life? No, it's not, it's not about that at all. If you fail to, to sever your sin in the power of the Holy Spirit in humility and, and grow in, in holiness and, and do the kinds of things that a disciple does, these are the things that a disciple does. Listen, if you don't do those things, you're revealing a lack of humility in your life which could very well be proving a lack of salvation. Okay, to people like this, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, he's like, I don't care how many great deeds you've done in my name. I don't care how many services you've gone to. I don't care how faithful you've been at sending your kids to harvest youth. I don't care how many men's Bible studies you've led and you've done all these great things. I don't care about any of it. All of it's a sham because your heart's a mess. Listen, I never knew you. I never knew you. Hey, if you are a true disciple of Jesus Christ here this morning, guess what? You will face the garbage that's overflowing from your heart. Why? Because that's what disciples do. That's what we do. We, we have the, the, the Spirit of God residing in us. How amazing is this? Remember this. Get some perspective on this. We have the Spirit of God in you, okay, creating within you this new heart of humility, transforming you, making you new, giving you new desires that says, Lord, I am willing to do whatever it takes to kill the sin that's killing me. 
I will hack off an appendage if I need to. Hyperbole, right? We get that? I will sever whatever is hindering my discipleship. Whatever is damaging my relationship with God, with other people, whatever, whatever is robbing you of glory. Listen, you and I should, should be feeling the urgency of this. Are you feeling that? Is the Spirit of God working in you? Are you, are you sensitive to his, his word here today? If you're like kind of just sitting there and, you know, good message, I guess. Right? There, there's problems. That's suggesting something. You need to get on top of this. You need to talk to somebody. You need to get some help. You confess this before the Lord. Maybe for you, it's, it's getting into a relationship with God in the first place. And you need to recognize that, that you, you've got sin in your life. Listen, we all do. I'm not like, I know I'm like two feet higher than where you are right now, but I'm not like, acting, like looking down on you. I'm right with you. I've got sin in my heart as well. And you need to understand that, 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 that your sin is against holy God. Your sin separates you from God, from being in a relationship with him. And there are massive eternal consequences to that. It's a place called hell. But here's the thing. God didn't want you to go there. He didn't want you to, to experience that punishment and that pain and, and, and his wrath. He didn't want that. So instead, he's like, you know what? I'm going I'm to rescue my people. And that's why he sent Jesus Christ. That's why he sent his son to the cross. He punished Jesus. He poured out all of his wrath on Christ instead of you. Jesus was up there on the cross in your place. If you would understand that, if you would humble yourself, if you would confess your sin against God and invite him to be your savior, listen, you are, you're a Christian. Do that now. Your life will, will change. It's the most important decision you could ever ever make. Listen, as you do that and as you cling to him for the rest of your days, as we're all trying to do that and, and humbling ourselves in the continual battle that, that our sin is, I mean, look, just look what happens to us and, or look what happens as we do this as, as the church, verse 49, take a look. It says, for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness. How will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. You know, this is maybe a bit of a trickier kind of thing to understand, but the, the, the salt and the fire there is, is best understood within the context of temple sacrifice. Okay, both salt and fire were, were used in sacrifices and, and in offerings of worship to God in those days. Okay, and they're, they're mentioned here, I love how James Edwards puts this, as they're, they're, they're symbols of the trials and costs of discipleship. That's what they are. And he goes on to say that, that testing by fire is not simply a painful necessity of discipleship, but an offering itself pleasing to God, a seasoning or salting with fire. Okay, in other words, as, as you and I humble ourselves by by, by doing these four things that we've been talking about here this morning, it, what does it do? It pleases God. Right? It blesses him immensely. Which for you and I, as, as his followers, as his children, that should be like what? Like at the top of our priority list. Right? That is what life is about. It's about pleasing and, and honoring him. So listen, I understand. I, I get it. You've got sin in your life. Right? And those, 
Those waters are murky. My waters are murky as well. But if you really think about this, there's really no need to be discouraged about it all. Right? I get that there's ups and downs. I, I get that it's hard. But listen, as we humbly submit all of these things, we just lay these things open-handed before the Lord. God, would you, would you come in? Would you transform me? As we do that and he starts to work, he is pleased with us. He's pleased. And, and, then, and then he does what? He creates that humility in our hearts. He actually transforms us. That humility becomes authentic. It becomes real. It, not, it doesn't just become a show that we're putting on for people. Which, of course, is, is the core the, of everything our discipleship is. So listen, I'm going to invite the worship team out right now. And we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing that song, Lord, I Need You. Such a great song that just shows like how helpless we are on our own. And as we've been you know, exploring the text here today, hopefully you're sensing, yeah, I've got some things that I've got to lay before Christ. I've got some things I've got to confess. And I would encourage you here in this moment to, 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 to pray. Bring these things before the Lord in prayer. Cry out to him. Shed tears if you need to. Get down on your knees if you need to. We're going to bring these things before the Lord. We're going to cling to the hope that is ours through him. Join me as we pray. God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that, that in the gospel, we see perfect humility. Lord, we see one who laid down rights and privileges and honor. Lord, and as frail humans who do the opposite of that, Lord. In fact, we, we cling to it, we claw for it, we hold tightly to it. God, I pray that you would soften us. God, I pray that you would breathe Holy Spirit power into us right now, that you would overcome our objections to humbling ourselves. I pray that the self-justification, the the arguing that some of us are doing even right here now in our minds, I don't really need to deal with that sin. That's not really that big of a problem. I'll focus on other areas that are a little easier for me. Lord, I pray that you would break through all of those barriers. God, I pray that you would humble us. Lord, I pray that we would get on board with your program in this. Lord, I pray that we would recognize that as disciples, Lord, we cannot move a centimeter closer further in our sanctification if we refuse to, to bow the knee. God, I pray that you would also encourage us in this, that you would show us that you were at work in us. I pray that you would show us that you're at work in your church, that you are making us into something beautiful. And God, I pray that you would show up even for the remainder of our time this morning here in power and in might. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.